Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Now's the time to save 30% on wedding jewelry, only on BlueNile.com. Make sure your wedding ring is the one with your pick of diamond and lab-grown diamond bands, all hand-finished and graded for excellence. Or surprise her with something blue she'll love for life, like a stunning pair of sapphire earrings. Blue Nile's jewelry experts are available 24-7 to help, from fit questions to style advice. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. I had to go about it, write it out, and find it myself. And there's some stories I can tell you. I had to fail, had to fall, just for what I did well. And there's some stories I can tell you. This is The Final Word with Jeff Lemon and Adam Collins. And uh, we have survived our Melbourne Live show. We're doing a pre recorded show the the night before the first test match of the Australian summer when Australia will take on Pakistan up at the Gabba and we've also got a, a special guest on the show today Morris Duffy who is a mindset coach who worked with Steve Smith to help him mentally approach his suspension and his eventual comeback so uh, a really interesting chat that we've already recorded with Morris but uh, we'll come to that a little bit later in the show but uh, Adam most importantly we Got into the mission to see Ferris in Melbourne. We got a couple of hundred friends alongside and, and we got out safely because we, we kept them happy um, and, and had a whole lot of fun in the process. Yeah, there, there were some great people that came along uh, the other night. Just overwhelming uh, the amount of people who were so passionately involved with what we're doing, really. Uh, at one section, there was a Q&A and it involved a couple of in-jokes from the show and the volume of people that threw their hands up and knew exactly what we were talking about. Yeah, it's... It's really flattering. Um, I quite like the fact that, and I neglected to mention it in the live uh, part of the performance, but um, there were a whole bunch of seafarers from India who were in the audience who just happened to be staying there that night. And um, they were cricket nuts, and they got to spend the night watching us go round and round and and do uh, what we described as the oral history of Sean Marsh or the the ballad of Sean Marsh in much the same way that we uh, did that uh, with Glenn Maxwell uh, earlier in the year. So that went really well. Uh, And then we had... Brad Hodge on the show because Dirk Nannis hurt himself skiing, Jeff, which as I said at the time, it was uh, the most Dirk Nannis possible reason to not be able to <laughs> come to our show. It could have only been more Dirk Nannis had he um, acquired the injury whilst playing the sax- saxophone and um, offering a offering a, a poem in, in, uh, in fluent Japanese. <laughs> well, yeah, he, he was in a lot of pain um, and a lot of strife, Dirk, so sending our best wishes to him. He's um, ruined his shoulder, but it's it's been put back together again. But uh, what a salute to Brad Hodge, who was called in at the 11th hour. Um, but, you know, Dirk sent out the SOS and put the, the Hodge signal <laughs> up in the sky, the bat, bat signal, I guess it could be. Um, and, and, he, and he answered with aplomb. He, he rocked up on the night. He was um, wonderful company. He told us a, a, a lot of stories. He was very frank and forthright. Um, very funny. He's got a great a great deadpan one-liner when he wants to deliver one, Brad Hodge. Yep. He was um, rapturously received by an audience of largely Victorians, I assume. 
Yeah, had great timing as a player, has great timing on the stage. You can you can obviously see that um, uh, that he's very comfortable in that forum where you can you know play your shots and 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 uh, and and be forthright and all the rest of it. So it comes very naturally to him. And look, I, I think that when we've done the live shows, it's the fourth one now. We, we've said at each of them that we we want to tell stories in keeping with the the theme music of the show and and Brad Hodge's story is a a really interesting one um, to us having grown up following the Victorian cricket team in the era where he was so prolific but also the injustice in many respects of him not getting the opportunities that we really wished him to have had and and kind of going through that with him it was so much fun and yeah again thanks to I mean everyone who came out it was an incredible crowd um, absolutely chock-a-block and and I guess the the good news Jeff is that we get to do it all again uh, next week on the 27th of November in Adelaide at the Ambassador Hotel. I believe we've got a, a, a few more tickets available for that than, than we thought we might have, which is good news in terms of, uh, um, in, in terms of the, uh, you know, those who haven't bought a ticket yet or might be coming along for the Test match, the second of the Pakistan series. Um, it's two nights before the Test. We've got Jason Gillespie, the local hero. We've got Jim Maxwell, who was so funny uh, in the London shows. We've had people asking whether we can live stream Jim Maxwell. Friends of ours who saw the London show and um, where Jim um, was fucking brilliant uh, asking they want to hear him do his thing again and whether we could we, we can't live stream um, the Adelaide show because um, it wouldn't uh, wouldn't be fair to uh, to to our guests but um, if, if you can get along uh, there, there are spots available jump on the website find a word cricket.com it, it'd be great to have another packed house because yes Monday night was a really memorable and rewarding uh, night and yeah so much fun yeah, and another good chunk of Adelaide ticket sales came through in the last couple of days. So we're heading towards capacity there with um, another week or so to go. So jump on that and uh, come down and join us. There's uh, four hours of happy hour as well. So that will take care of um, you for the evening, I'm pretty sure. It, it might be those clump of sales might be because there was a nice piece written about us in the in the Sunday Mail last week, Jeff. I didn't even tell you this, but oh, right. um, ben, ben Hook, who's a columnist uh, at the Sunday Mail and a former grade teammate of Jason Gillespie, um, mm. He's a listener to the show. G'day, Ben. And he um, has decided to uh, come to our show with his dad instead of interviewing Jeff Thompson uh, before the Adelaide test. He's prioritised the final word wow. ahead of that. And he said some uh, very kind words about what we've been doing uh, in his column. So uh, that might have something to do with the surge, if you like, in, in ticket sales. But yeah, as I understand it, we've got a little bit more space at the venue now as well. So get along. Finalwordcricket.com. It's going to be grouse. Can't believe that I'm going to meet Ben Hook's dad, Captain Hook. Uh, I've been a big fan. <laughs> Out of his work, um, you know, the, the ticking clock, the crocodile, all, all that stuff, just absolute classic gear, really. So, um, be good to reminisce with him about some of those moments and, and whether Robin Williams did the genre justice. Um, the, the test summer will be underway by the time people are listening to this. Yep. Um, something will have happened, it'll either someone will have batted, someone will have bowled, and or it will be raining one of those three options I suppose the test 11's what we expected it to be Adam yeah. uh, the the lineup of Burns Warner Labaskarni Smith uh, Head Wade Payne Cummins Stark Hazelwood Lyon well probably the other way around but um, you know the, the the three fast bowlers that they expected to bowl and um, that's also because James Pattinson has been omitted from consideration after a a pretty unfortunate outburst during a match in the lead-up. Yeah, it's kind of always hard to do this podcast the, the day before a test match because you're on a bit of a hiding to nothing by the time you're listening to this. I think I'm going to expect that Australia will be 
um, two for 600 or something like that. Um, because um, this is kind of how it goes when we talk up an opposition, and God knows I've been talking up Pakistan. Uh, I, I met Nassim Shah today, the 16-year-old tearaway quick. He was doing his photo shoot. Azar Ali was asked in the pre-game press conference at the Gabba um, whether he would play. And he wasn't willing to confirm his 11, but he would confirm the 16-year-old. So I rushed down, pitch shied when he was getting his photo taken and and uh, and wished him well, uh, which was, uh, uh, you know, he's he, he clearly is a, a most capable young man. He's already quite developed, quite filled out in the shoulders and so forth. And Azar Ali made the point that um, he's seen him play in first-class cricket. He's his captain um, in domestic cricket in Pakistan, and um, he, he's been able to bowl long spells. So I guess the uh, Daniel Cherney, our friend from The Age, made the point that if you're a 16-year-old in Australia, in Victoria specifically, you have very strict guidelines on how many overs you can bowl in a spell. You can only bowl six overs in a spell. So um, I, don't, I don't think that the, uh, the the touring young quick will be, uh, will be um, restricted to whatever it is. I think it's 15 overs per day. If you're playing men's cricket at age 16, I think they'll let him off the hook and um, hopefully he can unleash but it does sort of have that feel Jeff that they're playing you know four number 11s really depending on how you in, interpret Yasir Shah's batting he's not really a number 11 but they've got a very long tail he's nowhere further north than a 10 no no the point is is that well he did bat admirably in, in this corresponding fixture yeah. three years ago I guess that's as one a thing ten. That, he batted admirably yes. as a 10 he made about no, 40 yeah. That, that's true, but we were talking about this today with Azarelli in, the, in that um, they do take to this ground, even though the series was a bit of a dog's breakfast getting rolled 3-0, um, they, they did um, do well in Brisbane to get as close as they did with that Asad Shafiq masterpiece. Well, probably wasn't a masterpiece. I'm probably overdoing that, but phenomenal um, fourth innings uh, chasing score when they were after 490. So there was some reminiscing about that today. Um, as for Tim Payne, well, well, the conversation around the Gabbers, as it is every year, of course, we always know that it's been since 1988, did you know, Jeff, since Australia last lost at this ground. And, and the bowlers, as you say, were, were, were picking themselves after um, Pattinson got himself omitted. I was really pushing for Michael Nisa. Um, I'm not sure whether this might get counterproductive, how much Brad Sanderson and I have been just banging the drum for Michael Nisa's selection. So hopefully it does come to fruition. If they apply the squad mentality, they might give mm-hmm. him a run at Adelaide next week, depending on how the, the game goes this week, I suppose. But um, yes, Stark gets that chance. Um, interesting hearing Justin Langer talk about Stark yesterday, Jeff, in the they, they've they been banging away at him saying you need to appreciate that your length is so important in that they, you, you can't allow um, batsmen at test level uh, to see a variety of lengths. You need to, you're far more dangerous uh, when you're consistent and that's been the theme they've been they've been uh, you know I guess reinforcing with him in recent times so I guess what they're getting at really is is that him bowling at at, at helmets and toes to them is less important than finding a decent length so we'll see if we if there is any uh, adjustment to his pitch map and those kind of metrics when we see him bowl this week. Yeah, I mean, that that's the sort of thing that they tried with Mitchell Johnson for a while, saying you've got to be more consistent and, and hit lengths more, and that wasn't really where his strengths lay. You know, how many how many of Stark's wickets come from length balls as opposed to the, you know, the fuller delivery or the bouncer? So I, I, I wonder about that, whether it, that sort of thing can be counterproductive to yeah. a bowler whose main menace comes from different methods. Yeah, that is true. In that, well, I guess when we when we think of Mitchell Stark, uh, we think about reverse swing, and and perhaps we haven't seen quite as much reverse swing as we may have in in uh, in the first half of Stark's career. Let's call it. Um, 
and uh, that's probably not a bad place to kind of promote the fact we've got this interview coming up with uh, Morris Duffy, who um, who has been, as you said, off the top, Jeff, the the man responsible. Well, not responsible. That's overstating it, but been integral um, uh, with with, uh, with a, a daily correspondence with Stephen Smith um, since the Sandpaper Frago. Indeed, he was working with him before that as captain. They they dragged him in um, because of the work he'd done in the corporate sector. He's worked with prime ministers and Olympic medalists, and he's worked with you know captain of industry and and now he spoke to us on the final word Jeff so that's a that's a, a nice thing that we've got coming up for you later on in the show he's a, a very uh, um, got a very distinctive Irish accent uh, he's a very proud man very interesting man so um, he gives us the the, uh, the full rounds of the kitchen on, on his work with Stephen Smith and, and Cameron Bancroft but uh, yeah that's um, that's going to be Smith's first test match in Australia Jeff I mean we we think about all the little milestones that we've had to tick off but this time last year when Australia were given a, a fairly decent hiding by the Indian touring side, they were without Warner and Smith, and uh, you know, I guess the the working assumption is is that we're, uh, with those two blokes back in the side, especially Smith, that um, everything feels different to last year. Yeah, it's been a long time. It, it's um, you know January 2018 when they played at the SCG in that last Ashes mm. Test. It's the last time those two wore the whites at home. So nearly two years later, um, it's yeah. it's it's all on. I mean that. The pressure's there, I guess, starting again for Smith because everybody expects so much of him. You know, having seen what he did in the Ashes, you, you would expect well he's he's going to walk out at home and just towel up whoever comes at him and make hundred after hundred. And you know, it's 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 not that easy. Um, and you know, Warner as well, who while he's found his way back into some decent form in the T Twenties and so on, that that's a a very different ball game, quite literally. So he's got the pressure on him of that wretched Ashes series that he had. And it won't mm. take um, many failures in Test cricket at home for the drums to start beating very loud indeed for him. Yeah, just uh, before we leave this uh, segment behind, Jeff, give us a prediction, given that um, you, you're going to look silly no matter what you say. So I've gone with Australia um, tucking in and, uh, and, um, and, and, and filling their boots. What do you think will happen? Oh, it's just every time Pakistan have toured for so long, I've always said, "Oh, they, gee, they look a good team, though. Um, oh, good bowling attack, you know. Gee, great got some bowling quality attack. batsmen. They could. <laughs> They'll take their they twenty could, wickets. They could really rough Australia up, and then it's you know four <laughs> for six hundred again. Um, well, I would, look, the way maybe the difference might be Babar Azam, the way that he's you know found his groove in red ball cricket um, in in the way that he's done already has done for so long in white ball cricket. Maybe he can." be the player that they build around um, the way Asad Shafiq batted in that tour game. So, look, maybe maybe Pakistan find a way. Maybe it's one all, I'll say. Mm, mm. Uh, yeah, I, I sort of um, uh, am mostly looking forward to seeing Shaheen Afridi bowl. Barbara's arm, as you say, uh, a big talking point in the lead-up to this series, of course, one century and 21 tests or whatever it works out to be. Now that 99 at Abu Dhabi, the last time he played a test against Australia, he didn't do well when he was here three years ago playing test cricket, although, of course, he's had fantastic success with the white ball over here. So, yeah, a bit of a watch this space on him. Uh, and uh, hopefully we also get to see uh, Imran Khan back in action. We talked about him briefly last week. He had the blonde tips in the hair when he played against Australia back in 2014. But um, either way, they, they have got a strong bowling attack. There's really no excuse for them because... Um, it is the it, it is the start of a series that they're, they're not exactly they're, they're coming off a, a long touring schedule or anything like that. So let's hope for a, a degree of competitive balance early on and and a good series. Because if they bowl as well as they did against Australia, a um, with, you know in theory at least it should be close. 
We have to talk about James Pattinson in a bit more yep. detail. One of those stories that just makes you put your head in your hands and think, oh, God, you know, why? You know, why, why did it come to this? Um, flare up in the Shield match, had a go at... One of the opposition batsmen um, decided to go with a homophobic expletive, and I think I'm that the the silver lining I can take out of it is that I think that immediately James Pattinson regretted it um, quite genuinely, and and you know perhaps it was an impulsive, like a, a force of habit thing from earlier in his life or something like that. But you know he he knew that that was absolutely not the right way to go so there was no there was no attempt to sort of backtrack it or walk it down so he he gave a, a proper apology he didn't give a if you were offended apology um he seemed genuinely remorseful he apologized on the field at the time immediately and and uh, went and spoke to the umpires and sort of you know dobbed himself in basically and or you know apologized to them and and made a, a public statement as well so that's the you know that's the plus side but it's just yeah, it's, it's it's so frustrating that this kind of thing comes up, you know, at, at the top level where it really has no place. Yeah, so he threw himself on the grenade, which was great, as you say. Um, it, I, I, what I uh, kind of thought about it straight away is that when playing cricket myself, the the slur, which I won't repeat, but you can probably put the put the pieces together if you've been following some of the social media back and forth. It, it, it's exactly the sort of thing you would hear on the field you know, dozens of times in a season um, just a short while ago. Um, so one point to take from this is that, gee, the game's come quite a long way when it comes to the way in which we use language um, on the field. I don't mean like just, you know, your stock standard swearing at players, but this field, this area of, um, of, uh, of you know, on-field um, nonsense has really been eradicated, at least at the very top level, because it's such a distinctive thing when it does um, happen as it had as it did rather uh, last, I think it was last Thursday at the MCG in that Shield game against Queensland. So um, I, I love a proper apology. Um, you know, um, you, you sort of talked about it in your book how I've, how I in the past have talked about the way you get through something tough is that you've got to really, um, you know, allow yourself to be subject to the proper scrutiny and you've got to apologise fully and um, that's exactly what he did. So no letting him off for it. Indeed, it's a, it's a relatively hefty penalty when you consider the two demerit points tipped him into missing a, a test match. Whether he would have played or not is a moot point. The, the, the fact of the matter is, is that he's been made an example of. He's been on the back page of um, the Melbourne Herald Sun. I assume that was replicated in other states around the country. Um, it, it's significant reputational damage, as it should be. Um, but I think that he probably knew that and... Uh, and uh, well, you know, uh, uh, sort of a credit to him for for handling it the way that he did after making um, that comment, as you say, Jeff, where he grew up playing cricket. Um, that that kind of exchange was very normal. I know because I grew up playing in the same competition as him. Uh, so I, I, you know, mindful that that would have been something that was part of uh, cricket for him as a younger lad. No excuse, just trying to give some context and understanding as to why it might have come came out of his mouth. But um, yeah, I think that I think people will be willing to uh, give him. Um, an appropriate second chance in this space uh, on the basis that he has handled, handled himself well uh, since um, since making the indiscretion and they'll be able to put it behind us we'll, we'll all collectively I think be able to put it behind us quite quickly yeah well people um, apologies mean a lot more when it seems like someone actually means them so in, in, exactly. in that case yeah, it did exactly. thankfully um, the other band handed out 
to M. Smith, the Hobart Hurricanes WBBL player. We'll we'll get to the women's big bash in detail um, in the latter half of the show, but we should touch on this off the top. Yep. Um, banned for a year, three months will be immediately upheld, nine months suspended. Basically, that means she misses the rest of the season, um, you know, the rest of the big bash season and, and all of um, any other women's cricket this year um, and then has that hanging over from here on in. Um, what she did was post a photo of the team sheet up on her Instagram before it had been officially announced and that um, goes counter to all of the integrity rulings that players aren't supposed to feed information out that you know that might be used by in illegal betting or that um, things like team selections and so on they're one of the easy ways that shifty characters try to to, to to groom players basically to start getting innocuous bits of information and then and then build up their influence over a player so um, it, it's mm. a a pretty hefty penalty for an oversight but it's also something that players are taught about extensively that they're not to do things like this yeah there's lots to take from this isn't there it, it, on the face of it you hear about the um, the, the the crime and the punishment and you kind of see one year for an Instagram post of a team sheet I mean don't we get the teams early all the time but when you you drill down a bit deeper you, you can see why um, they, they chose to go in this way I mean whether it was um, too hefty to ban her from the rest of this season because really the the suspended sentence means nothing because she won't do this again it, it's the it's the the three months which means she won't play in the WNCL or for the Hobart Hurricanes again in the season um, I guess uh, part of this is the fact that um, she thought it was just a joke um, because of her batting position, or at least that's one of the lines we heard coming out of the side because she was listed to come in at number ten. Um, look, I mean, um, a disclosure. I know M, and I think she's a you know a, 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 she's a really interesting sort of person in, in, on the women's cricket circuit. And um, you know, my gut feel is this that um, this is a, you know what it looks like on the outset, just a, a clumsy oversight. But Izzy Westbury made a great point on social media that. This is again where women's cricket, um, they're, 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 for want of a better descriptor, teething problems to professionalism. In that, um, this can happen in this way, in this kind of you know rough shot, haphazard way, um, and, and it can have a pretty serious consequence. And that was explained and added to by Cricket Australia. I heard um, Kevin Roberts on uh, Jared Waitley's show yesterday, where he said that more money is. Um, bet on WBBL fixtures than AFL fixtures. So for our right. um, listeners overseas, that's Australian rules football. And, and I tell you now, a lot of money is bet on the AFL, which does kind of hint towards the fact that um, uh, this is a, an emerging and big market where people are exchanging significant sums of money. So they've got to be like doubly or triply vigilant um, over the over the behaviour of the participants uh, in the competition. So th- there is a lot going on to it, more than meets the eye. But um, again, I think they've... they've uh, they know they needed to sort of take action. Uh, I, I, the incongruity, of course, of this, Jeff, um, which uh, it's going to sound like I'm banging on about this, but standing at the Gabba today and seeing um, how many advertising boards there were for the, the betting company that we talk about quite regularly on the show. Um, look, uh, um, you know, it, it's one thing to, to come down hard on the idea of the, the game being... Uh, at risk or its integrity being at risk it's another isn't it seemingly and and a contradiction uh, to be so hand in glove uh, with a betting company just really quickly uh, the marsh cup has moved on to the final Usman Kawadra has got Queensland into the final Callum Ferguson very nearly carried South Australia in but uh, he was the last man out and so WA have got in instead jumping Jai Richardson got him uh at the close to mm. knock him off a few runs short. So uh, there's, there's been some pr- 
pretty excellent 50-over cricket played in the last few days as well. Look, I'm, I must admit, I haven't watched much um, or, or any really beyond highlights of the four fixtures that were played between Sunday and Wednesday. So we, we saw uh, Victoria uh, and Western Australia um, win on Sunday over New South Wales and South Australia, respectively. Uh, Queensland got the job done at Bell Reve Oval and then Victoria lost to the, the dead rubber, if you like, against South Australia by one run. Uh, before Tasmania, well, that wasn't a dead rubber, sorry, but they they lost by one run um, with um, uh, Fraser McGurk in at the end not being able to quite get over the line Uh, and then uh, Tasmania comfortably accounted for New South Wales in the dead rubber, if you like, today. But um, all told, um, what I'm more interested in is, 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 is did this work? Did the idea of breaking the competition up across blocks that started way back, way, way, way back on the 21st of September? So, I mean, we use it as a reference point, the AFL Grand Final is a time that we're not used to seeing um, professional cricket played. Well, they played a week of games before the Grand Final this year. Then they played a second block in the final week of uh, October, so just before the Sheffield Shield started, I think that was, or maybe just after the yeah, Sheffield Shield started. No, in any case, before. so they've they've, hey, they've had a crack at basically splitting it in three um, before the final at AB Field between Queensland and WA, which takes place next week. Um, I, I, I'm not sure whether I have a strong view either way. All, all I would note is that when this competition was played in one block about five or six years ago starting and, and being played throughout October and on free-to-air television. That seemed to be the, the time in, you know, the post-Mercantile Mutual Cup era, if you like. So yep. that's when it was at its zenith. That it seemed to have the most cut-through. I'm not sure whether this has necessarily had that sort of cut-through this year. I know it's on cable television, but I, I just don't sort of feel as though it's been part of the conversation anywhere near as much as it was in... Yeah, you know, it really stands out to me, 13, 14, when it was on Channel 9... Um, and it was on, you know, pretty much every day uh, throughout October, and we kind of got quite invested in the competition. I don't sort of feel it had that kind of impact this year. Mm, well, it makes a big difference just being on free-to-air TV. If people can see it, mm. people know it's happening. Uh, let's do a tiny little flirt with Nerd Pledge before let's we get to the Morris Duffy interview. Let, and let, let it be a brief one for my voice, as you can probably tell, due to yeah. the um, live show a couple of nights ago. He's absolutely knackered. Yep. And you're about to do five days on the radio, so that's going to work out very well indeed. You'll we'll be pull it um, together. You, your your post test match voice. Um, let's let's just say that if you were out there on the field and you talked near the ball, you could be done for tampering. Like it would be pretty <laughs> abrasive. <laughs> you yeah. Take a fair bit of shine off. Uh, Nerd Pledge yeah. is the game that we play with our supporters on the Patreon page. That's where people throw a few bucks in the tin to keep the show going. And instead of sending us a normal amount of money, Nerd Pledges will send us uh, an amount that correlates to a cricket number and we have to work out what it is. Let's play Nerd Pledge. Uh, the yeah. first Nerd Pledge for today. Well, uh, there were there were a couple that we used at the live show, um, and there was one. This was in perfect synchrony when I looked up the list to see what we would use in the quiz at the end of the live show. Uh, after the segment with the interview guest that we had have, uh, a, a subscriber named Jay had sent in a nerd pledge of two dollars and three cents, two zero three, and two oh three. Yeah. Of course, Adam was the unbeaten double hundred that Brad Hodge made um, at the Wacker, his, his solitary century for Australia. And uh, it just worked out beautifully that, that after speaking to him about his career and his uh, successes and frustrations, that was the number that came through. A super bit of symmetry. We saw some Twitter back and forth where he actually put to us, hey, uh, did my nerd pledge with Brad Hodge come up? And we're like, actually, it absolutely did. The timing was immaculate. (laughs) So I'm glad we were able to do that with Brad in the room. It it came up really well. So thanks so much for that, Jay. 
Um, there was oh, there was also a correction from the previous week. We did Oliver Crawley's right. Oliver Crawley's two fifty two. We mm-hmm. were talking about um, the score that where Graham Gooch made his one hundred and fifty something that yes. was out of 252 um, yep. Yep. and we were talking about Afghanistan tying with India in the Asia Cup and so on and so on Oliver um, wrote to us on Twitter and said I appreciated all your guesses but they're not quite right uh, his hint was he's from Manchester uh, ding 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 any bells so, ringing for you um, Manchester 252 um, was that Joe Root's 250 no it is that was at Old Trafford well guess who took 252 wickets in Test Cricket oh uh, okay, um, from Manchester, 252, Brian Statham. Exactly. Boom. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> Boom. There you go. I could, I could see your Get mind you. working on that one. Brian Statham, <laughs> who partnered Fred Truman so prolifically for, for such a long period of time and was uh, was known as Gentleman George for his friendly ways on the cricket field. So a, a great Mancunian, and um, I think we've successfully worked out Oliver Cawley's pledge there. Thanks, Another Oliver. one. Thanks, Oliver. Another one that came up at the that we used at the live show from Graham B. Seven dollars sixty six. What did seven six six mean, Adam? Well, we 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 agreed, didn't we, that it wasn't Alistair Cook's run tally from the ten eleven Ashes, although indeed that is that is seven sixty six. We or it we, could well have been, but uh, either, either, either way, Graham B's an England fan, isn't he? It's it's probably oh, right. It's, it, it, well, well, he must it be. Probably he is. Must be. It's either well, Cook in the Ashes or it's. Or it's the thing that's fallen out of my brain because I heard this at the live show no more than forty-eight hours ago. Remind me, uh, Phil Tufnell, seven for sixty-six. Oh, that's right, at the seven Oval. for sixty-six when he um, bowled Australia out on the final day in in nineteen ninety-seven in that in that scrappy affair where Australia yeah. were chasing about a hundred and twenty odd, and they were going quite well at the start, if I recall yep. correctly, with Matthew Elliott. But then the wheels fell off and they fell short. There's a lovely photo on the uh, on the wall of the Oval. Uh, Press box, dining room, lounge that we that we sit in and have our lunch in there. Of um, Phil Tufnell sitting with a, a bottle of uh, champagne and a cigarette in his hand uh, on the balcony after successfully yeah. bowling Australia out that day. He didn't uh, have many more days like that. He, he was probably just past his absolute best. Well, perhaps he was at his best in '97, but he he still played Test cricket up until 2001. Indeed, his final Test was uh, in the same fixture uh, against Australia when when uh, Mark Waugh had his way with him uh, one last time uh, in, uh, in, in, in 01. But, um, yeah, he, as, as a lot of people have, have said who played with Tufnell uh, on his day, despite the fact that he became a point of derision with his fielding and his batting and all the rest of it. But on his day, he was one of the most effective uh, left-arm spinners in the world. Well, perhaps the most effective left-arm spinner in the world at the time he was playing. He was, uh, yeah, the 7 for 66 was in the first innings uh, and then... Australia, oh, sorry, the and, then he, and then he took four for in the second, and, and Caddick right, took so five, I reckon. Match. Yeah, 11 right, for right, the match. Right. They bowled Australia out for 104 in the fourth innings. To I was going to say, like, I was doing the maths in my head. I'm like, if he conceded 66 runs off his bowling, then maybe they were chasing a few more than I thought. But no, that's good. I'm glad that yep. we uh, were able to tie the bow on that. And the uh, last one, this one might be one of your areas as well, just a fresh one okay. for you from Paul Smith. Um, so thanks to Paul and thanks to Graham and to Jay. Uh, Paul Smith has sent through 268. What is 268? 268. I reckon I've seen a 268. Would have I seen a 268, Jeff? You wouldn't have seen this in person, but you... Okay. Or you might just have been alive. Um, I might you, just have been alive. You, you, might have, a... you might have been. I can't remember what year it was in, but it, uh, it's probably a, 
it's probably a late 80s kind of uh, A late 80s kind it? of thing. So did Viv Richards make a 268? No. I don't think he did. an Australian score. I don't think he did. An from Australian an, score. An, from an unfashionable player. An Australian made 268. An unfashionable Australian made 268. I don't think that's going to be Bob Cowper. And, well, the era doesn't line up anyway. I know Graham Yallop went on and made a... Or did he make a bigger score than that? Graham Yallop, of course, captained Australia just before I was born, I suppose, in the lead-up, just in that... Well, five years before I was born, when you consider the the uh, World Series era. So it could be Graham Yallop. Jeff? It is Graham Yallop's highest uh, test score, 268. I couldn't, he's one that. of those players I remember, who I can never I remember, remember when he played because he could be anywhere in the 70s or 80s for me. I don't... You know, I can't <laughs> place him in my head. Well, I, I, I like that. I, I always remember looking up that, um, looking up that innings. Well, at least looking up that number when when Mark Taylor passed it in 1997 on the radio commentary, uh, which I was glued to, if you like, or not that you can be glued to the radio. Well, I suppose you can, but that's uh, mixing my uh, metaphor. Anyway, the the uh, the, um, the they they were ticking them off as he went through them on that final session on the second day, and I remember Yallop. Yallop's 268 being part of that and kind of mm. being really interested about this Victorian who I knew very little about at that, that stage of my life and realising then that he'd actually captained Australia. So, anyway, there we go, 268. Good Boxing stuff. Boxing Day Test, that again? 1983. Would you have been born then? No, I was born in uh, the August of 84. There you go. Um, were you born on the Boxing Day Test of 83? You're I was just born before then, yeah. yeah not long yeah. before then. but We're giving away our ages, Jeff. I was I was living in a world where Graham Yellett made two sixty eight. That's probably why I can't remember what what era or what year he played in. But it was nineteen eighty three, nice. uh, which was the little known prequel to George Orwell's nineteen eighty four. That's enough nerd pledge for today. Uh, if you want to play the game, you can go to patreon dot com slash the final word, and you can sign up to support the show. Uh, send a few bucks our way helps us keep the lights on, and you can play nerd pledge as well. I just want to tell one quick anecdote before we sign off on part one, which I should have mentioned when we were previewing the test match. So uh, Scott Morrison, um, Morrison, Stephen Smith today, he came up to him on the oval and started gibbering at him about God knows what. Um, and afterwards, after the uh, the exchange concluded, Smith walked past myself and a couple of others and said, can someone tell the PM that the pink ball test match isn't played at Sydney? Like that's good. I like that. So Scott Morrison, uh, showing that he has no sense for cricket, uh, just as we expected, Jeff. Did so? Was he confusing the Pink Day Test with the Pink I'm Ball sure, Test? I'm sure. I've got no doubt that's the case. But right. nonetheless, I I quite okay. like the fact that Smith wanted to just just get get the get the word back to him. So I I yep. did get the word back to him via the medium of Twitter, which okay. I'm sure he hasn't seen. But all the same, he's probably muted me. Right, so. that, that's, a, that's, that's a deep final word vibe. Adam Collins angrily tweeting Scott Morris <laughs> about cricket. <laughs> right, oh, the diagram. That's, 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 um, that's deeply in the wheelhouse. All right, that's yep. enough from us uh, for part one. We'll have a, a, a tiny 10-second break, and then let's get back to talk to Morris Duffy. About, about his, Stephen Smith. About <laughs> Stephen Smith and his relationship or not with various Prime Ministers. There's a triangle. There's a Venn diagram. It all comes together. This is the final word with Adam Collins and Jeff Lemon. And as we said at the start of the show, we, we've got 
uh, a guest today who wouldn't ordinarily be on the final word. Normally we talk to cricketers and those who are adjacent to the professional game, but um, we have someone who has been very involved in cricket in the last little while uh, by virtue of his uh, profession. Uh, he's a professor of innovation and entrepreneurship. He has a PhD in change and transformation. He does research into the mindset of elite performers, and, and one of those is Stephen Smith. And Morris Duffy, Dr. Morris Duffy, I should say, you've been working closely with Stephen Smith uh, over the last couple of years. He's, he's cited his involvement with you as one of the most important things to, to get him back on track above the shoulders after what happened at Newlands last year. Uh, thanks for coming and having a chat with us about that. Um, I guess my first question, Morris, is how did it turn out that you uh, started working with, with Steve Smith and other members of the Australian cricket team? Well, I've been a professional coach for about 20-odd uh, years. Um, I've worked with uh, a lot of organisations and with a lot of sports people. Um, so I'm known for working in sports and with polit- uh, politicians and with business people. Uh, my name obviously popped up to Cricket Australia. Um, they had a, a young and upcoming uh, talent in uh, Stephen Smith. And they asked me whether I would be prepared to work with them um, on his mindset on, on helping him being the, uh, the talent that they had undoubtedly noticed. So just to go back a step here, so Cricket Australia have seen you who, I mean, as we, I'm sure listeners can tell from your accent, you're, you're an Irishman, you live in Newcastle. Um, as you say, normally you're working with uh, people on the other side of the world, including prime ministers and chief executives and other you know, illustrious leaders. And, and Cricket Australia have said, we, we've got a, a young guy in, in Steve that, that we want to work with you. Uh, it seems like a, a slightly odd couple to begin with. Uh, it, it was, and I, I think that the connection probably came through David Peaver because I did a lot of work with Rio Tinto. Um, so I did a lot of work around the world with Rio Tinto, so that's probably where my name... And I, and I think they were looking for something different. I don't, I don't think that they were looking for your normal run-in-the-mill um, coach. I think that they were looking for somebody who worked on mindset and uh, who could help them uh, be the leader that they, that they wanted them to be. Did you have to change your approach at all, Morris, from what you would normally do, given that, that you know, that slightly different circumstances and a, a different kind of client? Yes and no. I, 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 I would admit, you know, that, that I've learned a lot from Steve, right, uh, in the period of time that I've been working with him. Uh, he's, you know, he's a seriously talented individual, as you're well appreciate, but that's not just outside the game of cricket, but as a, as a human being as well, in the way that he thinks and feels about the game. I think that... You know, a lot of the work that I do is primarily, you know, even if it's with politicians or if it's with business people, is, you know, how can you be the person that you really want to be? How do you make the changes that you want to change? And, you know, how do you, you know, a lot of people talk about how do I change from, you know, um, dealing with failure and into success. And, you know, a lot of the things that I teach, I teach and that I look to try and change is that there's no such thing as failure. There's only winning and learning. And uh, my kind of coaching is all about the learning journey that we go on together. Steve said when he talked about you in an interview uh, at the start of this year that he was considering giving the whole thing away and it took a lot of work for him to get to a place where he was not just happy to um, pick up a bat again and, and you know recovering from an injury he acquired to his elbow but to um, be ready to play elite cricket for Australia and, and then we of course saw the remarkable results in England through the Ashes series and he's, he's sort of never seemed better as a player but also equally never seemed happier really uh, in, in sort of uh, talking publicly. Uh, wh- what's changed with Steve in, in your view from the person you first met when he was captain of the Australian cricket team compared to now when he's a member of the ranks post-suspension? When I first met him, I think there was a certain naivety, naivety to him. You know, he, uh, he, he was a, a, a talented individual. Uh, you know, the whole world was in front of him. 
I think over the, the period of time, uh, you know, what actually happened in Cape Town has probably changed his outlook, outlook and he's probably more appreciative of what he's got right now. You know, the, the journey from uh, Cape Town, which I travelled with them on, you know, the two of us came back out of Cape Town, um, right through Singapore and down into Sydney to that kind of infamous or famous uh, uh, news conference was mm. just unbelievable. Um, you know, as a, an individual that's fairly robust in the scene a lot, I've never seen anything like it. Um, in the journey that he's gone through and in the abuse that he's taken, um, I've never I've never encountered anything like it. And, and you know, I, I work with politicians and I work with politicians who get death threats every week. Um, and still the kind of um, amount of abuse that he was getting, you know, over a mistake that he, he owned up to. And it was, uh, you know, it was a tragedy for him as an individual and it was inappropriate what he actually did. But he owned it, he took the pain and he wanted to move on. Um, and, you know, the... The recovery was difficult. Um, you know, every single day we connected, every single day he kind of looked at, I, I give him kind of six things to do that he tracks against what I want him to try and achieve. And he is relentless in his pursuit of learning. You know, I, you know, I have huge admiration for him in, you know, in, in, in the number of people that I coach and, and, and the hundreds of people that I've worked with, you know, he is probably one of the, in the top kind of three or four percent of people who just have a thirst for knowledge. And he works it so hard. He just works so hard. So I, I work with them and it's, there's a formula to obviously, you know, every, every consultant has a circle or a, or a triangle or a square. Um, and a coach is no different. <laughs> but, but, you know, <laughs> you know, most kind of scariest words in the world, I'm a consultant, I'm here to help you. Um, but, but, but the point... <laughs> The point, the point that I was, the point that I would make is that the way that he looks at things, the way that he approached the world is very, very different. Um, and he has a, he has a, you know, he, he started with a great mindset, and you know the resilience that he has had to build up over the last kind of 12, 18 months has been, you know, pretty significant. But the way that he went to, approached it, the pro, um, you know, the the relentless and the perseverance that he was prepared to put in is just extraordinary. You know, he's totally absorbed in the game. He has kind of got great clarity about what he sees. You know, sometimes I think he's kind of outside of everyday reality in the way that he looks. At it. He has a huge ability to be in the moment. You know, I've never met anyone with a greater passion for something. But, but you know, sometimes when you're talking to him also, you know, you get a sense of serenity from him, that nothing, that nothing is an effort. Right? Um, but the thing that we work on all the time is his presence, and his presence in the field and his presence in life is you know is, is is really good and as you can see you know as his coach i'm a huge admirer of him and i'm a huge admirer of what he has achieved and i've been you know really lucky to be part of the journey and to be so close to it um and to be able to make a small contribution to it uh, morris it's interesting that you talk about that serenity that hasn't always been a tag that's been linked to Steve, I suppose intensity was, was the perception that a lot of people experienced from him outwardly when he was captaining the Australian side. I mean, you and I have discussed Jeff's book in the past and some of the observations that were made uh, in there. Um, do you think that by the end of that stretch when he was the Australian captain that the job had got so much for him that it became harder for him to be the way he'd otherwise be? I think that what's forgotten in, in, in the kind of the retelling of you know the what happened in Cape Town with the circumstances you know Werner and his wife and the abuse that they were getting you know mm. the brush offs that they were getting the arguments that were going on so there, there was all of those contributing factors but there was also the culture and you know I, I I think that you know cricket Australia were looking for a captain that Steve not didn't necessarily fit into that 
particular culture and the way that they were looking for it at that time. And there was, you know, I was well aware of the fact that there was tensions in the way that they were trying to push. It. And, and, and what he is, is, is just a natural. And, and, and you know, I, I would have said, and I, and, and I said it at the time, is just let him be who he is. Um, so I don't think that the burden of captaincy was, was troublesome or was overwhelming. I think that the burden and what was expected of him to behave in a certain way obviously was pushing him in directions that perhaps he was uncomfortable with and that mm. he was struggling with. Uh, and I think, you know, the, what, the, what the tension was or what the culture was with Davis as vice, president, uh, vice captain and with uh, Steve as captain, you know, I, I think that some people try to play upon the tension between them uh, because they're very different characters, you know, and, and Steve is never going to be a David Warner. Right? Um, so, you know, I think part of that contributed to it, and, and you know he will admit it himself. He made a mistake. He made a he made a mistake, um, and and he's owned that mistake. And I think that it would be a tragedy right now, you know, if he didn't get the opportunity of being a captain again because he has learned so much. He is a you know as a human being, what he could contribute to that team would be just significant as the captain and as the leader. Do you think he'd be better placed to be himself now, and, and to you know to be able to have the opportunity to be himself and have the context to be allowed to be? I, I think he owns himself now. Um, so I think he owns himself much more now. Um, so he's got a an inner calmness. And and you know when 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 I work, you know, and, and I work with a lot of sports people from Olympics or to cyclists to Premiership footballers. Um, and what we're looking for is, you know, when, when there's no difference between what the person is doing and what the person is thinking, and that's the sweet spot. And on the field of play, that's where Steve is really a master of. But what he is, was learning and what he wanted to develop was how he could, you know, enhance the capability of the team and be a better leader. And, and I think that, you know, he owns his own feelings much better now. He's much more in control of himself right uh, now. I think that he's got a better outlook on life right now, and I, I think that he appreciates hugely, you know, what has been given to him. And, and you know, I, I have had the opportunity to go I'm bankrupt. Um, I'm sure you, you all yeah. know, um, you know, Cameron very well. And you know, and, and again, you know, what I have watched and what I have seen is how both of them have reacted to the set of circumstances which they found themselves in, and how both of them have actually handled and. You know, Steve is much further ahead in that journey back because he's now more mature, probably because he's old, older. But, you know, Cameron himself is on a journey in the sense of, you know, what actually happened and how he kind of brings himself back to where he was and goes beyond that. It's interesting you, you reference Cameron and the, the, the journey he's been. Uh, he was probably criticised more for his response to what happened. That is to say, it felt like it, it took him longer to come fully to terms with taking responsibility for it. Certainly, uh, he did an interview around Boxing Day Test Match last year, which came under a lot of scrutiny uh, on that basis. Uh, do you think that he now, in this iteration as an Australian Test player, if he gets an opportunity to play against Pakistan this summer, being in the squad at the moment, that, that he'll be um, not, not better for the experience? It's probably the wrong way of putting it. But do you think that he's going to come out the other end of um, this last 18 to 20 month period uh, as someone uh, who has enhanced himself or do you think this is still taking him a while to fully completely recover from where he was when he was in South Africa? I think that Cameron, you know, in in, in, in the whole set of circumstances that occurred, you know, was the individual who wanted to please people most. 
And I think that the, that was a you know a direct consequence of that was that you know he was the one who found himself you know um, tampering with the ball. Mm. Uh, for want of a better word. Uh, and, mm. and I think that he wasn't as comfortable in that group of people. He had just kind of arrived on the scene. You know, he is uh, <clears throat> incredibly, incredibly driven to be a test player. Um, you know, and, and, and I've had the, uh, the pleasure of working with him. Uh, and I've seen the effort that he's put on when he's been here in Durham. And, uh, you know, I, I work with him. You know, he's, every day, this, I, my WhatsApp, you, 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 my WhatsApp goes off from uh, all the people mm. I coach. So my wife goes nuts in the morning because of bing, bing, bing of them sending in scores and how they feel the previous day is gone and how they feel that they're going to do on that particular day. And Cameron is, is very driven. I think the fact that he's back in the test team now um, is good for him. You know, it's again, it's somewhere where he has not has been accustomed to as Steve was. Like Steve was there and Steve was captain and Steve was kind of part of the team. Cameron is relatively new. And in, and in any individual, when we're trying to integrate them into a team, you know, you have to pay attention to it. And, you know, the, the problem is that the press and, and, and you guys, journalists, give them very little time, right, and give them very little opportunity to kind of just smooth the journey in and, and become comfortable because that's when they can begin to be the player that, you know, that undoubtedly they can be. Uh, and, you know, I've, I've, I've watched with some interest some of the mental stresses that cricketer players are on and, and I deal with mental stresses in business and in politicians. And I, and I feel that, you know, sometimes we're just too hard on these individuals. They're young, you know, they're ambitious, you know, they're, they're kind of driven, they want to please, they're driven by success. Um, and when the success is not coming, then they, they pay a terrible price. Morris, does cricket offer a unique challenge or unique opportunity, perhaps, given you've talked about recontextualizing failure and and looking to make it an opportunity but failure is such an integral part of cricket it's an inherent part of it you know cricketers have to fail more than they succeed basically um so finding a way to to look at that in a different light could be so vital to someone who's trying to make their way in cricket the, the difficulty that i have as, as as a professional is is you know helping people to understand there is no failure Right, you know, that it is part of the learning journey. And, and again, you know, in the, in the development of a human being or in the development of a player, you know, I look at the strengths and weaknesses and I focus hugely on the strengths and see where I can expand them. And for some people, that's counterintuitive. Uh, and and, and the, 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 the difficulty is that people are always pointing out faults. And in actual fact, you know, Steve is probably a really good representation. Sometimes it's your imperfections that make you beautiful. Uh, and the way that he plays the game with some of the imperfections that people tell me he has is, is what makes him the beautiful player that he actually is. Um, mm. and, 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 you know, in the press and, and, and in the coverage, we are unforgiving. You know, I'm, I've been working all day with a number of politicians that, and, you know, it is unrelenting, unrelenting and it's unforgiving, you know, the feedback that they actually get. And coming back to your question, you know, I think that each sport has some unique challenges. You know, I've just been uh, in Japan with some rugby players um, and working at the World Cup, and they would never admit to have a mindset coach. God, that would be the worst thing that they could possibly imagine. Like, I'm a big macho rugby mm. player, for God's sake. Don't tell anyone <laughs> that you're working with me. Um, you know, at least Steve recognises the value of it and recognises what he needs to what he needed to achieve, and he was very kind. You know, probably too kind to send the help because I think he did most of it himself. Um, but 
you know, he recognises it. But again, in, in footballers, it's exactly the same thing. You know, so I work with some of the premiership footballers. But, you know, some of them would just never admit, I would never want it said, you know, that they were weak, um, that they had kind of some mental challenges. But they don't have any problem saying that I need a physical coach. And mm. we know, you know, that the brain right. is just a muscle. So if you're not working it, if you're not preparing it, if you're not taking it through it, and, 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 and I take them on this journey of, of uh, mental reflection, you know, mental redirection, mental immersion, you know, uh, mental visualization into mindsets. And then we kind of got three boxes in there about, you know, uh, think box, feel box and play box. Um, and, and there's a journey that they go through and they score themselves each day on how they're doing on that journey. And we work on it. Um, but it is something that you just have to work on. And, and, and as somebody that works with individuals, as I said, you know, that journey is really important. That work is really important. But what's also important is as often as you pick up that bat and hit that ball, you've also got to work on your mind. And you've got it, to prepare it. And you've got to plant right th- the right thinking in it. And you've got to allow it opportunities to rest in the same way as you allow your body to rest. It's interesting that the term mind coach or life coach and other um, similar badges, uh, sometimes I think it, it's uh, perhaps a bit difficult to tangibly understand what, what happens when uh, someone's working with an expert like that. Um, can you just elaborate a little bit on the sort of techniques that uh, you and Steve and you and Cameron uh, worked on, uh, you, perhaps you and Steve specifically, because obviously he came up against that enormous challenge when returning to the, the Australian side with the amount of scrutiny he was under in England. Um, what you were doing with him on a sort of daily basis to make sure that he was equipped uh, to turn out in England and perform to the best of his ability. So we have six things that we work on. Uh, I won't tell you what they are because that would be uh, inside knowledge. Um, <laughs> but there are six specific things that I work with on Steve and that we just sat down and we decided that these were six things that were going to help him. Um, and it's, you know, it's all about being present. It's all about kind of emotional control. It's all about... You know, understanding yourself better, etc., self-awareness, etc., uh, etc. Et and every single day, then I, I give, I've given him a set of assessments, and every single day he kind of scores. So every morning I get from Steve Smith these six scores on uh, right. where he's actually at, and, and he's he's driven. And every day I get it from Cameron Bancroft, and then every day I get it from loads and loads of other people, and and, and I tailor them specifically for the individual. So it's a designed program to help the individual to focus. So if you were to talk to Cameron or to Steve, um, I would bet, I would bet if you asked them the question, say you were talking to Morris, the two Mm. things they would say, sorry, the one thing that they would say is he's always telling us to dig in, dig in. Um, And and it's just kind of a a joke in the sense of some of the language, but it's all about being present. You know, there is no past, there is no future. You know, when you're playing the game, it's just about being present. Mm. And, and it's it's really interesting because I think that if you if you look at the way some people approach it, they're thinking about the ball that have hit or the ball they're about to hit. There's only one thing going on is that you're absolutely anchored in the now. You've just got to be in the now. We talk a lot on this show about mental health, Morris. Um, what do you think the ramifications are, um, or the the benefits to? broader mental health of being able to, to have that sort of presence and I remember when I when, when I got divorced and I, I met my new wife and I remember my mother being an Irish you know um, church going uh, west of Ireland woman and when I told her I met somebody new she says everybody needs a friend um, and, and the point which I'm saying is that you know everybody needs 
help sometimes. Everybody needs assistance sometimes. Everybody needs the opportunity of being able to express what's going on in their brain. Um, and all I do uh, is provide a safe environment, to provide a safe forum, you know, um, give them some grey hairs, give them some advice and, and, and help them to kind of develop in the way and at the pace that works for them. Um, and, and I've been fortunate in, you know, and, and, and I'll say this, you know, you asked me the question is, I think Cameron will be a superb player for Australia um, because his work ethic is superb, his preparation is superb. Um, you know, I cannot, you know, I, 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 I'm no expert on cricket, but ask me about Hurley, which I wanted you to ask me about. <laughs> um, uh, I, uh, yeah, or, or ask me about an Irishman who helped the Australians speak English, and that's kind of that's the coolest thing in the world, right? Uh, I get so much pleasure. Out, I get so much pleasure out of that. But but you know, the, the, the point being is that you know in, the, the individuals need some support, and I, and I think that you know Cameron will come back because his work ethic, his preparation, and the way that he's going about it is is absolutely right. The only thing that will stop him is if we stop him. And we stop him by not giving him the opportunity to be the success he should be. We we had David Warner on this show uh, before the um, Cape Town Test match, actually before the Durban Test in that series, uh, Morrison. Uh, part of the interview, we moved towards mindfulness and, and the meditative process, which Dave's invested in. And a lot of people around the world sort of describe it as the secret source, the, 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 the one thing meditative work that if you do it daily or do it regularly enough that it can really liberate the mind and as a consequence a lot of professional sports people have moved to that. I know you're a huge advocate for it as well. Do you think that um, this has been a big part of unlocking these conversations that professional sports people are happy to stop and meditate and allow their mind to recover on a, on a pretty regular basis? Well, I, I do a lot of work with the NHS in, in, in the UK, and I, I, I develop a, a program which is kind of called Mind You, which is every mind, every mind matters, right? And your mind matters. And, 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 and I start every single program, you know, with some, uh, you know, um, meditation right? and, and, and mindfulness. And if you follow my Twitter feed, you'll see that, that yeah. I'm on the, I stand at the North Sea every morning uh, and yeah. do exactly the same thing. So I'm, I'm, I'm a huge believer in it. Um, and, and I'm a huge believer in us understanding ourselves better. And, and, and I put it, I put it in this way: is that a lot of sports people spend a lot of time trying to understand their sport, and the physical attributes that are necessary in order for them to be successful, and the preparation that's necessary, and you know the the, the stress that they can put on their body, and the, the rest that they need to go through. And very few of them. Now there's more and more getting it, but very few of them you know, do it really well. And, and, and for me, as a student of mindset, and, you know, if I talked, which I do, I've done is talk to Roger Federer's coach. And they'll say, hey, you know, it's funny, Morris, you know, every time he hits the ball, it's like he's going to the movies. He's already seen it. He's thought about it. He goes through meditation and the yoga that's associated with it. You go and talk to Tiger Woods' coach, and you'll get the same thing, which they'll talk a lot about you know, the mental game that's associated with it. You go and mm. talk to the cycling course or the swimming coaches, which I do, of the really top players because I'm fascinated to understand what makes it. And meditation, mindfulness, preparation is absolutely critical to the success. Morris, as soon as we uh, sat down a, a little while ago, it was fairly obvious to me that you were going to be a great guest on the show. Um, being able to um, jump in and uh, 
experience with you, some of the things that you've experienced with Stephen Smith and Cameron Bancroft has been uh, an absolute delight. Thank you for being part of the show. No problem. And but, but before we finish, can I just say to you, you know, that if you're going to drink milk, you need a bit of Guinness, you need some milk, Baileys, <laughs> and you need some whiskey, and you need it in a pint glass, and then you need to be able to consume it, consume it in one gulp, and then you know how to drink milk as an Irish person. I love the fact that you've you've uh, you've been engaged with the show sufficiently. You know about our predilection to flavoured milk. I finished off a a big tub of flavoured milk that Jeff got me last night after our live show. That was the last thing I did before going to bed, so it felt appropriate. Um, who would have thought that that, a, that an Irishman um, that lives in the northeast of England could be so integral to uh, helping um, get Australian cricket back on its feet? So again, thanks for coming on the final word. It's been brilliant. Absolute pleasure. Thank you for taking the time to uh, allow me to share some of my thoughts. This is The Final Word with Jeff Lemon and Adam Collins, and thanks to Morris Duffy for making some time to chat to us on the show about Steve Smith and his recovery and return. I'm kind of messing with the space-time continuum here because we're recording this part a couple of days after we spoke to Morris, and this will go up tomorrow. But also tomorrow, um, the the conversation we had with Morris is, I believe, featuring on the back page of the Sydney Morning Herald. Uh, So, uh, I mean, that of itself uh, demonstrates that uh, when people talk about about Stephen Smith and, and the journey that he's been on. It's quite newsworthy and, yeah, just great to have someone like that on the show who comes with such a wealth of experience, such a credible um, voice in this uh, field of interest to us. We've often talked about mental health on The Final Word and having someone with his experience and background to add to that. Um, yeah, I, I felt like it was a, a most worthwhile conversation. And, yeah, also that perhaps the, the most interesting part from his perspective uh, on, on Smith's leadership and how it'll be enhanced after his time away. Whether or not that, that, that's something that, that comes into consideration when the board have to make their call about whether they invite Smith to, to captain again in the post-pain era, um, we'll, we'll, I suppose we'll find that in the fullness of time. But I guess, Jeff, it's comforting to know that if he were to be asked to do that job, and he did accept that, um, that it, it sounds as though he's going to be doing it from a much healthier place than he did back in 2015. Yeah, that that's the contention. It's not necessarily one I would agree with, um, but I suppose there's there are two sides of that debate, and it's being had pretty vigorously already um, as to as to whether he's developed enough as a person to actually do a significantly different job the second time around. Obviously, it's not that hard to avoid the really obvious mistakes that you've made before, but you know to to, to have actually enhanced your skills enough to be able to make a significantly better fist of it is something else I suppose yeah yeah that's well, a, a discussion we'll keep having over the next few months yeah I'm, I'm sure, sure we will. probably get pretty sick of by <laughs> you know the end of March when that captaincy ban ends um, in the last week of March absolutely hey Jeff before we um, talk about the women's big bash league uh, in what will be I guess part three of the show today we should talk about future talent sports cards who are working with us through this Australian summer what a what a great place uh, to have aligned ourselves with Jeff Heath Evans, who runs the show over there. He was at the live show the other day. He, we gave a, a card to everyone who walked in the door. I think the first 100 people, actually. Um, and better still, in the case of the 50 that had your name on it, they could add them to the rarities and oddities uh, collection that you often see on places like mm-hmm. eBay and whatever else, because there was a spelling mistake. So if you got one of the first batch of Jeff Lemon cards and it read Jeff Lemons due to a, a printing error, which is quite a funny one to have, uh, 
um, in the sense that it could mean that when you're rich and famous and you know those hundred people have your name uh, in that card, mm. then they can go and be rich and famous as well. They can go and sell it for a truckload. They can just just become just cash in on part of my legacy. <laughs> um, you know, take a carve out a small slice of my massive fortune that I will amass from watching cricket. Yeah, um, exactly. Yeah, that's that's definitely going to happen. <laughs> Jeff Jeff Lemons. It's not a very good um, pseudonym. It's probably still people could work out who's behind it. But um, the, the, it was nice. That Heath was there with a table set up so that people could come along and have a look at what they do and and sort of punch some photos into the card templates and work out what they might look like so the idea is that um funnily enough being called future talent footy cards are always about past talent aren't they they're they're those collector's items of sports cards or baseballers or whatever if you live in the u.s and um kids collecting them and so on so the business is about um letting kids or adults who still think that they're kids or whatever they might be have their own version put themselves on a playing card put their team on a playing card and be able to have the enjoyment of seeing themselves on a card because Heath's description of it was when you've got your own sports card that means you've made it you know that's when you really know you're somebody so whether you're in the under 11s or you're playing social sport or you're doing it for your your colleagues at your office or whatever it might be there's there's the a little bit of satisfaction to seeing yourself on a card, and I can't deny that I enjoyed it, even if my name was wrong. Yeah, there was a nice bit of ego striking there, wasn't there, from Heath, which I, I certainly appreciated, a nice confidence boost before we went on stage the other night. It's nice when um, the sponsors that we're working with are actually people who we like. It might be a bit different if, like, Clive Palmer rocked up and said, Kurt, do you want to want my dinosaur theme park to sponsor your show? And we'd think, like, Clive, people are going to die. Um, this is a really, really bad idea, and we, we don't want to hang out with you um unless we're trying to find a, a bulk source of palmers but nonetheless um it, it, the clive palmer challenge it's, it's good the, to work uh, with good people the old the old clive. rochester hotel the clive palmer challenge which uh, amounted to having five chicken parmigianas stacked on top of each other um oh, God. I, I never that was back in my meat eating days and i intended to um have a pop at it but regrettably rest in peace the rochester i, I know it reopened now but um the artist that formerly was when it was a beautiful glorious indie club is no longer which is when the clive palmer challenge was going but alas i, I don't think we're going to be um, promoting what he does in Coolum or or in China or anywhere else um, anytime soon but but we will talk about joints like future talent um, you say Jeff I mean Heath's just one of the best people you'll ever meet in your life um, I've known him since I was three years old my oldest friend um, and it's great that you know seeing how well this business is going for him uh, and there's a reason for that it's because they do a fucking great job so um, jump on the website futuretalent.com.au pop in the offer code drop Heath a note I'm sure that if you get in touch with him and you tell him what your need and want is, he's such a creative guy, such an energetic, enthusiastic guy, he'll be able to, to find a solution or he'll be able to meet your needs, uh, no troubles at all. So futuretalent.com.au, Heath Evans, tell him you came by us and get yourself a 15% discount. There you go. The uh, WBBL has been flying in its standalone format the the first year that it's existed in its own window um, without the men's Big Bash overlapping it or interrupting it. Um, the TV numbers have been bloody amazing. Yep. It's the, the consistency of having it on television. It's been smashing the shit out of um, everything. Th- things like the A-League and the... NBL and so on Marsh in Cup. terms of TV uh, ratings. Absolutely incredible. I mean, uh, we, we've talked about this on the show before, but um, for new listeners to the final word, and there's been a lot of them last year. When we were talking about the Women's Big Bash League in Season 1, 
on the early editions of, of the final word, the expectation was that 40,000 people would watch per game. And that was a, 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 a stretch goal. They were hoping to yeah. get 40,000 people to watch. The fact that they now, from time to time, have more than half a million people watch these games on the main channel, um, uh, on Channel 7, with you know the full production values and everything that goes hand in hand with that. Um, it's just a a wonderful validation of what a lot of us have been talking about for a long time. If you build it, they will come. Um, we, we had a special on women's cricket a couple of weeks ago which touched on this, but um, these viewing numbers are perhaps the most uh, tangible evidence of, of, of that argument that people will watch it and they will engage with it uh, once they're given an opportunity to do so. And, and that augurs wonderfully well for the World T20 or the Women's T20 World Cup, as it's going to be called, as of the 2020 edition the year 2020 edition, so February, March, next year, a few months from now, there's no reason why they won't break every single record and why they won't take this to a, a whole new level. And, and so much of that has to do with television. We've had Games Ahoy, uh, M. Smith Band, as we mentioned earlier. The uh, other really big omission for the last part of this season will be Elise Perry. She's done a yeah. shoulder, um, injured her AC joint, diving in the field. Um, hopefully it's not too serious and they're hoping she'll be back for the final stage. But that's it's hard to think of a more significant out when you know she had 469 runs thus far in the comp. She was third place on the runs list. Um, the Sixers have a massive hole in their team to fill. Um, and they've started to wobble a little bit as well. They, they lost to the Hurricanes just before we recorded this show. They've dipped back to third after they on the table after they made a, a really fast start. They were smashing huge scores and um, just looking absolutely dominant earlier in the brief season. Um, but they've just slipped down a bit and they've got a couple of decent-looking rivals this year. I think I'm right in saying that Perry injured her shoulder in the game where the Renegade beat them off the final ball. Crazy final That's over. It. Crazy yep. final Do you know now that the Renegades have been involved in five final ball finishes this year, which is thoroughly in keeping with the with the uh, the history of that club? I mean, the players that have been there from the get-go, it's it's old hat to them now, but yeah, five mm. times in, in one season, and, and this is the best of the lot, really, as far as uh, they're concerned. Remember, of course, they lost the semi-final uh, to the Sixers in a super over last year after they tied um, that game in you know kind of spectacular fashion. Um, some brilliant fielding from the Sixers uh, and uh, Elisa Healy executing a, a direct hit throw from kind of nowhere. But on this occasion, it was Courtney Webb smashing Marisan Cap for six, who, um, as you say, Jeff, in in uh, in uh, in uh, your your summary to me, when was the last time you, you've seen Marazan Cap get hit for six? There's a there's a reason why this she's the number one ranked T20 bowler in the world. It's that her economy rates like 4.2 or something ridiculous. Yeah. Um, so um, that that was a turn up for a number of reasons. And that whole last over, I don't know if you had a chance to watch it back. I'm sure you did. But um, there there was uh, there was everything needed to go right uh, for oh, Courtney Webb. Drop drop catches, misfields on the road. Yep. Then there was a direct hit run out um, from was that Laura Smith? I think yes. It was, yes. Pulled, pulled that off um, with a brilliant bit of work from the deep. So there was there was triumph and disaster for the Sixers, um, but they let them get close enough. They needed five from the last ball. Courtney Webb hit it over the rope. Um, I saw a stat come up from uh, Sir Swamp Thing, who's the the great Twitter mm-hmm. statistician. Um, f- in five seasons of WBBL cricket, 
before this, five players had ever hit Marazan Cap for a six, huh. ever, across this is the fifth season she's bowled in the WBBL. Right. So it, it gives you a sense of the uh, size of the challenge and uh, that Courtney Webb was able to live up to. And it wasn't just her either because it was the over before that. Carly Leeson hit Sarah Ailey for two sixes in the previous over and Sarah Ailey doesn't go for sixes either. She's pretty much impossible to hit. She's, um, you know, every time players try to go big against her, they seem to mistime it to mid-on or mid-off. So uh, there were those couple of sixes for Leeson as well um, that that just got them close enough and they managed to, to scrape there. So they're, they're staying in touch. They're fifth, the Renegades. Yep. Um, they've, they'd be pretty much nowhere without Jess Duff and she's had, <laughs> I think, her first really good season, um, you know, formerly known as the artist um, Jess Cameron, who played for Australia going back to 2013 now. She was um, key in their World Cup winning campaign in 2013 but um, she's got 286 runs in eight innings she's had quite a few sort of 200 run seasons for them but you know this looks like the time that she might be able to go even bigger and she's got them home a number of times in the wins that they've been able to collect yeah one of the one of the players in the WBBL that has juggled two sports uh, of course playing in the AFLW uh, and yeah um pounding runs recently. She's in great nick. I think she had a really good WBBL all the way back in season one when she was playing at the Melbourne Stars. I think there might have been one season when she didn't play at all, if memory serves me correctly, when she was making that um, decision between footy and cricket. But yeah, fantastic to see uh, a player of international class um, really turning it on in the WBBL. And, you know, I guess we're well into the second half of her career now, given she's been, well, maybe not quite that deep into the second half, but yeah, a player of serious experience. Um, another one of our favourites, Jeff Beth Mooney. Um, she's flaying them all over the place. She's gone past 500 runs for the first time. Now, she's been so consistent at getting to 400, Jeff. And I, I mean, that's how we found her, isn't it? That first year of the WBBL yeah. uh, when she was um, at the top of the order for the Brisbane Heat. Of course, they went on to win the tournament last year for the first time. They're the defending champions right now. But um, Beth Mooney, half a dozen uh, 50s this season. Uh, there's, there's a reason why they're, they're right at the top of the table again. Well, I mean, Beth Mooney's the one who was puking halfway through her innings in the, yes, in the right. final or yeah. the semi. That was the final, um, yeah, very hot day. When it was stinking hot and she was wearing you know ice packs around her neck and vomiting at backward point and all the rest of it and mm. still made a 50. Um, her consistency is just astounding, like the number of times she goes past the half-century mark. But um, it, it's been a joy to watch her blossom and, and watch her become a really damaging player for Australia, especially in the, the shortest form of the game nationally as well. Jess Jonathan's been a key to Brisbane as well. She's top of the wickets list. She's made some really valuable runs in the last couple of games too and he's making them at a, a pretty quick clip. She's 11th on the runs list as well as topping the wickets list. Um, Delissa Kimmins has been taking wickets as well. So, you know, that that Brisbane Heat were always that team that under-delivered under for the first three seasons they kept seeming like on paper they should be more competitive but um, it's really starting to work for them now. Yeah it was the formula last year as well wasn't it? It was even though Jonathan and Kimmins have credentials as batters it's with the ball 
Um, their experience came to the fore alongside Beth Mooney at the top of the order. And Sammy Joe Johnson was really important to that title campaign as well. But all the same, they've got a winning formula and it's going nicely at the moment. Um, speaking of underperforming, I mean, the Adelaide, Adelaide Strikers are, are the side who we've picked to win every year uh, and they made the finals once. Uh, but um, Sophie Devine, uh, she's also got six half centuries. The way she was able to turn it on uh, in the final over of one of those where she got to about 80-odd in about 50-odd balls, having... Yeah. Um, having gone modestly until that point, it was a very undivine-like innings. And then, um, just as a reminder that she still is the biggest hitter in the game, she might have some competition in Ashley Gardner and on her day, Nat Siva. And but really, it, it's it still is Sophie, isn't it? She is the the I queen think, of the I long think handle in terms of consistent hitting. Like yeah, Sophie's that's the it, one who yeah. can, who can hit seven or eight sixes in an innings. You know, if, if it if it takes if she takes um, the decision to do it. Whereas you'll see some big hits from the others, but not necessarily going again and mm. again. And and that game particularly, I, I was watching that one live, and it was it was quite painful. She you know it was a scratchy fifty. It was it was around a runner ball, but you know she just didn't look in command or in control and then poor old Madeline Penner who who bowled beautifully in that game she had was it she had three for 20 or something Mm -hmm. from three overs um and just got absolutely mauled five in a row over the rope suddenly Devine's got 80 from 50 balls and (laughs) um and and has sent them to a to a massive total so it can change in the blink of an eye but she's also picked up 14 wickets as well bowling her little mediums she's not doing the headband thing anymore but um she's been she's been just it's a ridiculous contribution from one player honestly i just wanted to come off of her at a global tournament i just wanted to like i know she's yeah. had cameos but she didn't have a very good world cup in 2017 uh they were out in the group stage in the 2018 world t20 in the caribbean they really underperforms there collectively but overall uh since she moved to the top of the order in 50 over cricket so we're going back about 18 to 24 months now she's been incredibly consistent wherever she's played and I just hope that that translates into a huge World T20 uh, in Australia in familiar conditions where she's really been one of the most if you're putting together an all-time WBBL 11 for the first five years she's absolutely the all-rounder well there'll be several all-rounders but she's in that side as a you know as a bowler and a batter um, given her, her sort of consistent and prolific numbers for the strikers. And look, um, they're second on the ladder at the moment. I'd love nothing more to see them go all the way or at least get close to um, being uh, competitive in, in the postseason because, uh, you know, they, they, they've, they've threatened to do it so often. Um, but yeah, who knows if if, if Sophie Devine and, and, uh, and Susie Bates, uh, the two New Zealanders, uh, can turn it on and get them there to the finals and, and perform the way we know they can, um, they, they are every chance of winning it in equal their every chance of winning the World T20 next year. Mm. We, we talk a lot about Australia's gap they're putting between themselves and England. Well, th- there's a reason why New Zealand always looks so good on paper. It's because most of their team have played in the WBBL, which is without doubt the, the premier domestic 20-over comp in the world. Mm. But they do tend to under-deliver in Big the time. national colours. So there is that there is that opportunity at the T20 World Cup. We should do, we should do a team at the end of the... Um, at the end of this season, we should do the the team of the first five seasons. Absolutely, it'd be, it'd be pretty easy to pick. I mean, obviously, Mooney's opening. Um, Laming Mooney, Marizan Cap, Marizan is Cap. leading leading the bowlers. Perry, I mean, Lanning would have to be in there, even though she missed a season because she's made about five hundred runs every other every season other time, she's played. Yeah. Um, in terms, yeah, Marizan Cap would be there. The spinner would probably be Danae Vanikirk. 
Uh, yeah. I'd say yep. she's had the most success with her wrist spin. Uh, yeah, I mean, El Bates and Divine picked themselves. Susie Bates, yeah. Divine. Had big years consistently. So really, we're looking at you know a, a, an all-stars team from around the world. Perhaps in terms of England representation, you, know, you could make really a case isn't. for Brunt from the start, from the early years of the WBBL, but she's not come out the last couple of years. So No, um, I, I think across all five seasons, there isn't really a, a standout mm, rep. Yeah. Siva's never really had a great, Big bash. No, um, she she hasn't. I mean, she's had great moments. She's won games uh, for both Melbourne and Perth, but never really mm-hmm. stitched together a full consistent season. So she probably wouldn't be there. Um, yeah, it's 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 a worthwhile experiment. We should we should totally do that in a couple of weeks. Elisa Healy would be the other opener. Of course. Oh yes, she's, had, yes, she's just been absolutely prolific in, in and, and Ash Gardner. Bash, Ash so. Gardner would be um you know uh, the other who we'd probably have in in the mix. It'll be a hard team. To I reckon. Keep it, I reckon Aaron Burns. So someone like Aaron Burns or Heather Graham could be pretty Heather hard Graham? to keep out. Yeah, Heather Graham's a good, been very, so good, good across show. a number of years. It might be that Heather Graham's kept out by Sophie Devine in that they both are kind of the fifth bowler, and if you're yeah. picking between the two of them, Devine's yeah the, the, the muscle, uh, the match winning mm. muscle's been been so crucial. I'd be pushing for Amanda Wellington to be in there as ah, well. Yes, yes. Get, get the, the forgotten, the forgotten anyway, woman of Australian let's, women's cricket. Let, let's, let's quickly uh, <laughs> run through what we've got to run through. Um, Perth are in fourth spot. They, they as just always. look pretty consistent, pretty good. Um, Perth know, are always fourth. helps. Um, per- Amy per- Jones has made a lot of runs for them, which would make you happy. It, it does. You could pick up the, the ladder of the WBBL and you could go through the five seasons and I reckon that 70% of weekends when they come to a close, Perth are in are in fourth position. So I have no doubt that's yeah. where they'll finish again before getting bundled um, out in the first round of the finals. So the Renegades are, are breathing down their necks a bit if they can keep their last ball finishes happening. The Sydney Thunder have been pretty ordinary this year. Rachel mm. Haynes hasn't made a score. Alex Blackwell's doing her best. Um, Phoebe Litchfield is the, the 16-year-old who's had a couple of good innings but hasn't really gone on. Um, well, she, had to miss for, um, she, had to, she had to miss uh, games for exams, didn't she? I mean, the, uh, yes, year 10 we, exams we, we were from, the, um, the reason on the team sheet. Yeah, well, she's got to do her exams. Nasheem Shah, who we talked about at the start of the show, who's the same age as her, um, that we asked him today, uh, that we asked as a rally today about his schoolwork and he, and he, and he quickly said he, he's doing no schoolwork over here so <laughs> hopefully yeah. but I, I like the example that Phoebe Litchfield is setting by missing um, big bash games in order to do well in her exams good on you yes well <laughs> priorities um, absolutely Naomi Stalenberg's have uh, just been such a disappointment over the last mm. few seasons really she's such a destructive player but just just doesn't make those scores. You know, he's always averaging sort of under 20, um, even if the strike rate's pretty good. Yeah, you go back to the first WBBL. She made her way into the national squad from kind of nowhere, really, on the back of some really destructive innings uh, for the Thunder. But when they won the comp, that is, too. But, uh, yeah, hasn't quite kept pace with it. She's a fair way off the track now, you'd think, as far as getting back into that side. And then rounding out the table, um, as usual, the Hurricanes and the Stars. But Hobart, oh, there's there's a bit to be optimistic about with Hobart, I think, this year. They've recruited well. They've got um, good sort of younger players, those fringe national players like Vakarawa and yep. Nicola Carey um, to come in and Taylor Valamek, who've, who I, th- I think 
this is a more a long-term plan. I think they're looking at a team that could be really good in maybe two years' time, something like that. Yep. Um, it, it might start to pay dividends, but but Nick Carey's been playing really well. She's been batting well for them as well. Chloe Tryon, they recruited the South African hitter who's been playing some good cameos down the order. Maisie Gibson, they picked up from the Thunder, the league spinner, and she's taken 10 wickets as well. So even though they, they've only got three wins, I think, for the year, but they've been... They just look a much more positive side um, with more possible routes to winning a game than we've seen from them previously. Yeah, I can sign up to that. I think that's not a bad shout that they've um, that they they are preparing uh, for a longer term thing. And of course, they've got players like Heather Knight, who I saw in Hobart last week actually when I was down there. Um, and not unsurprisingly, really, it's quite a small place, but um, ran into her when she was leaving dinner, and I was walking in to play table tennis with our friend AJ at the same bar where she was uh, having a bite to eat and uh, asking her about the the Canes. They they certainly have a good thing going on in terms of the. The, uh, the camaraderie they have and we've seen them make the finals a couple of times early on in their in their WBBL journey uh, which was performing I, I suppose above themselves and maybe they're, they're on their way back albeit slowly uh, far better than the stars are going I mean I don't really know what to make of the stars that they are the the worst of the WBBL teams across the the five year span when you consider they had Meg Lanning and Nat Siver and Jess Cameron and a host of others with them uh, Mignon Dupree uh, at the start of uh, the WBBL a few of those players are still there Lizelle Lee as well, well. Mignon's still there Mignon's still but, there um, yeah. and, and Lizelle Lee's making runs but they're yeah. pretty much the only two who seem to be it able to contribute. Sense. Elisa Lani's yeah. playing for them as well, but yeah. her, her strike rate's in the toilet for this season. She can't get up above 100 strike rate, you know, from one of the most damaging potentially um, batters in the comp. So. I reckon you would have said when you when, when the WBBL first started, you would have looked at the team sheets and said, that's the team I want to be in. And they've not even, yeah. I mean, with the exception of season one where they missed the finals on the last ball of the of the group stage they've they've never really threatened to make the postseason um they're, they're going to be down the bottom of the ladder again this year although i do note that lazelle lee was given out today well a disgraceful decision she caught caught a deep backwards square leg from a ball that dead set was i mean it couldn't have been more than three or four inches beneath her chin um it definitely was a no ball uh, above waist height i mean when i was watching the tape when i watched it for the first time i didn't see the caption and i assumed it was just lazelle lee hitting like a gigantic six when you see the the screen from a and, terrible from no a ball terrible no ball and then i thought you know maybe that's why it's on social media she's hit a ball into the next postcode or something like that which i've seen her do um, when playing in england the last couple of years but instead she miscued it and ended up down the throat of deep backward square leg and she was kind of like hang on a second what what's going on why this has not been called and and it was just an oversight so um but yes, alas, uh, that, that probably wouldn't have made a, a massive difference in, in their in their season long story, which has been another poor one. Alas, the stars. Well, there'll be um, a fair chunk more over the next couple of weeks before we push up towards the final in early December. So we'll be um, keeping an eye on that during and in between the test matches as well yep. as um, we. Move on through Australia's cricket summer. Oh, it does not end for a long time when it, we've got the, uh, the, the, world, the T20 World Cup final in March. So it's currently yeah. November. Yeah. Um settle in for the long haul. Well, yeah, the Australian men play a bilateral series against New Zealand in Australia after the women's tournament finishes. I mean... Oh, yeah, that's right. This is... Uh, this is the, we're, yeah, this, it's going to be the longest of Australian summers off the back of the longest of England summers. So, yes, no complaints. We love the game. We love the way that it's expanded especially on the women's side of the ledger. But yeah, we're, we're, we've barely touched the surface so far. We've got a long, long way to go. All right, that's enough from us for now, Adam. We will be back after the 
Brisbane Test match to talk about that and whatever else has come up in the interim. England are about to place some tests in New Zealand, they so we'll indeed. be keeping an eye on those as well. They're, they're, um, and um, they're anything starting, else that happens in the cricket world. They're, they're playing those two test matches at exactly the same time on the same days as Australia playing Pakistan, so we'll have some nice right. around-the-grounds action, I'm sure, um, as we, we follow those two tests. There's going to be at least one debutante, Dom Sibley, uh, who's playing... Um, after making a century in the tour game last week, I saw Zach Crawley also made a, a ton in in, in his uh, innings in the tour game. So they've they've, they've started their their campaign over there well, and I'm um, looking forward to seeing how that goes. Um, just before we wrap it off, Jeff, I always like to thank everyone everyone for um, being so supportive of the show, our patrons. Uh, our um, subscribers uh, to the through iTunes and Spotify who've decided to give us a rating or a review. I always say it and I'll continue to say it. If you haven't and you can spend a minute just quickly jumping on one of those platforms, it does make a pretty big difference for us in terms of getting people to hear the show um, in order to um, be part of Nerd Pledge. Jeff, the patron account is patron.com slash the final word or you can find it on our own website as well I also want to thank uh, DC who was there with us at the live show we, we thanked him um, then and there on stage but we should thank him again for um, coming out with us uh, to well he wouldn't have left the venue till half past ten and he would have had to have woken up the next day at half past three for his day job which is working as a, a producer on breakfast radio so that was a, yep. a mighty mighty effort and of course you know the the amount of editing that goes into pulling a show together like this each week it's um yeah we're we're so proud to be part of the bad producer production family with Jay Mueller and his team so thanks so much to them for being such an important part of our our weekly experience and our live shows as well. Yeah, DC edits the show, but also um, comes in and rigs the live shows as well, sets things up, makes sure that nothing falls apart or explodes and does it all in about two hours sleep. So yep. remarkable work from him. Uh, thank you. And uh, thanks to you for listening, because there would be no point having a show if you didn't listen. Although for the first couple of years, we did have a show, even though nobody was listening. <laughs> Isn't that nice? Um, no, there were probably 60 people listening and uh, hopefully they're all still there. Some of our we'll, best we'll be work. back. <laughs> What's that? But I think some of our best work on reflection. God, we prepared hard for those shows. I, know, <laughs> I think that, yeah, the fact that the um, the uh, the organisation we were working for at the time, the ABC, didn't even know we existed is fairly telling um, about how much cut through we had. But gee, if you want to go back to the archives, good stuff there. Yeah, if, you, if your own boss doesn't know the show exists, then it's probably not reaching a lot of eardrums. Anyway, anyway. Uh, you live and learn. That's enough final word for this week. We'll be back in, I don't know, a number of days, roughly equivalent to after a week or so, match, maybe we'll, five days. We'll, we'll after be back the after test the match. test match for sure. We'll do the, the usual final word test match wrap-ups as you've become accustomed to over the years through these five yes. home tests, I am sure. Okay. Until then, this has been the final word. Jeff Lemon and Adam Collins. Come to the live show in Adelaide. Come to the live show in Adelaide. Oh, yeah. Five. Do that. Final word. Cricket.com. Twenty seventh of November. Jason Gillespie, Jim Maxwell. If you if you're on the if you're on the fence, just come. It's going to be grouse. Bye. Oh, this has been such a smooth exit. I'm just going to say <laughs> it one more time. The end of the show. Adam, got anything else? The end. This is the end. The end has Goodbye. no end. Bye. Bye. It's like saying goodbye to your mum on the phone. Bye. 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 No, no, no. Bye. 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 Bye.